Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Good morning. Today, God speaks to us from Psalm 5. I will be reading in Spanish. Salmo 5. Escucha, Señor, mis palabras. Toma en cuenta mi gemido. Presta atención a mis súplicas, Rey mío y Dios mío, porque a ti yo oro. Por la mañana, Señor, escuchas mi clamor. Por la mañana te presento mis ruegos y quedo a la espera de tu respuesta. Tú no eres un Dios que se complace en lo malo. A tu lado no tienen cabida los malvados. Tú no eres un Dios que se... Com eh, sorry. <ríe> no hay lugar en tu presencia para los altivos, pues aborreces a todos los malhechores. Tú destruyes a los mentirosos y detestas a los asesinos y traidores. Pero yo, por tu gran amor, puedo entrar en tu casa, puedo mostrarme, re, postrarme reverente hacia tu santo templo. Señor, por causa de, de mis enemigos, dirígeme en tu justicia, endereza tu senda delante de mí. En sus palabras no hay sinceridad, en su interior solo hay corrupción. Su garganta es un sepulcro abierto, de su lengua salen engaños. Condénalos, oh Dios, que caigan por sus propias intrigas. Recházalos por la multitud de sus crímenes, porque se han rebelado contra ti. Pero que se alegren todos los que en ti buscan refugio, que canten siempre jubilosos. Extiéndeles tu protección y que en ti se regocijen todos los que aman tu nombre. Porque tú, Señor, bendices al justo, cual escudo lo rodeas con tu buena voluntad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. So today we are uh, continuing a year-long look uh, at the book of Psalms. Uh, and we're going to continue to do so by continuing our current series through the Psalms. Uh, a series that we've called Living Inside Out, Life in the Psalms. Uh, throughout this series, each week, uh, we're going to be looking at different spiritual practices that are presented to us uh, in the book of Psalms so that we might um, develop and grow in our health, in rhythms of healthy uh, spiritual practices, uh, all of which help deepen our spiritual walks. Now, again, as you've heard, one of the ways that we're encouraging people uh, to really uh, engage well with this current season is to develop their own rhythms of spiritual practices. And uh, we're encouraging people to consider utilizing this uh, rule of life. In that rule of life, you'll see seven different practices that we think are uh, crucial uh, to a vibrant walk with Jesus. Uh, and because everybody's different, everybody has their own unique rhythms of life, realities of life, the beauty of the rule of life uh, is that it's... Uh, specifically tailored to you. It's something that you prayerfully uh, walk through and uh, develop for yourself. So we'd highly encourage you, if you don't already have ongoing rhythms of spiritual practices in your life, to consider utilizing that. Uh, really, our hope is that we all have these consistent habits, rhythms, that over time will deepen our walk uh, with the Lord. And also, as you heard uh, earlier, we also have a, a separate one for families to utilize together. And so we'd encourage families to consider doing that with, uh, with each other. Now, last week, we considered uh, the necessity, first, of delighting and meditating on the law of God, the word of God. And what we saw last week uh, was that really delighting in the word of God is really about delighting in Jesus uh, and the work of Jesus on our behalf. And now today, we're going to be shifting from 
Or what does it mean to have rhythms of uh, the Word of God, Bible, Scripture in our lives, to now looking at what it means to have rhythms of prayer in our lives? And what I want to take a look at today is to consider what exactly is prayer, and what does it mean to have a vibrant, meaningful prayer life? And so to consider that, I want to, I want to answer that question about a vibrant prayer life by looking at what prayer requires. What we'll see is that prayer requires a foundation, a balance, and a hope. Okay? I'm hoping each, three, each of those three will help us develop a vibrant prayer life. So first, a foundation. Uh, just as a bit of a heads up, uh, we're going to get to our psalm, Psalm 5. And we're going to learn some really key things from it. But before we do, I want to spend a little bit of time providing some needed context. Because there are essentially two different places. uh, There are many places, actually. You could go in the Bible to learn about prayer. But there's two uh, places that really robustly teach prayer. And the two that we tend to think about are the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're going to take a look at what the Psalms have to say uh, in a minute, particularly Psalm 5. But I first, just quick, I want to give a quick summary of the Lord's Prayer. I think because if we understand what Jesus does in the Lord's Prayer, right, that prayer that we pray every week, if we understand what Jesus is doing there, I actually think it helps us begin to understand what's happening in the book of Psalms as it relates to prayer. So let me just say a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. So in Matthew 6, Jesus tells us, uh, when you pray, pray like this. He says, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray that prayer every week. What is significant about that prayer? Why do we pray that prayer every single Sunday together? Well, in that prayer, Jesus provides us with a framework for knowing how to pray. Let me explain to you what I mean. So when Jesus says, our father, what Jesus is reminding us of is he's um, ensuring that we recognize the relational aspect of prayer, that we come to God as a father. Jesus says, hallowed be thy name. It's, it's, that is a, a recognition of the glory and the majesty of God. So not only is God our father, he's also this majestic God whose name is great. He then goes on and says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This, of course, recognizes that God is this glorious father, but he's also a king with authority and power to rule and reign over all of creation. He says, give us uh, this day our daily bread, which reminds us that God also uh, is one who cares for the everyday needs of what we have going on in our lives, our normal rhythms of needs. He wants to hear about them. We're then told, uh, forgive our debts, forgive our sins, recognizing our need for confession and repentance before God. Then Jesus goes on and he says, as we forgive our debtors, again, recognizing that we need to be gracious just as God has been gracious to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, recognizes that there really is an evil one who brings temptation, but that God has authority over that evil one. In other words, Jesus' prayer shows us what prayer ought to be and the way it reflects all facets of life and worship before God. And so the question is, where did Jesus learn to approach prayer in that way? Well, Jesus learned to approach prayer that way in the Psalms. The Psalms are 150 prayers that reflect the various facets of life that we ought to consider when we pray. I mean, Jesus is providing us a very helpful summary of what the Psalms teach us. So at minimum, if you feel like you need a helpful prayer guide, 
you always have the Lord's Prayer and the Psalms to go to. But that said, I want to highlight uh, something significant about the Psalms as we approach this topic of prayer. Because last week, if you, again, if you remember, we looked at um, what we are to make of the law of God, which is the Word of God, Scripture, the Bible. And the psalmist told us last week that there's blessedness for those who delight, uh, delight in and meditate on the law of the Lord. Now, others have pointed this out, but it's interesting that the psalms are what teaches us how to pray. The psalms taught Jesus how to pray. And yet, the very first psalm was not a prayer, but instead the very first psalm was talking about the word of God, the law of God. And in particular, tells us that we are to meditate on that word. The reason that matters is because the depth of our prayer life, the depth of our insights in prayer, and the fruitfulness of that prayer is tied to and rooted in our commitment to knowing and meditating on the word of God. Why? Because prayer ought to be a dialogue. It's a communication between us and God. And the way God primarily speaks to his people is through his word. And so when we pray, the way God is going to respond to us is going to be primarily through his word. And often we miss God's voice when we do not approach it like a dialogue with his word and instead approach prayer more like a monologue or a command, which is usually how we tend to approach prayer. What do I mean by that? Consider what a monologue is. A monologue is essentially I speak and I don't allow others to do so. It's just me releasing my thoughts and my cares and my concerns out into the world, giving no opportunity for a response. Now, we all know people like this. Maybe we are people like that who tend to monopolize a conversation, never giving others a chance to share their thoughts. But we know that if other people are not able to respond, also being able to speak, then there's really no dialogue and there's really no depth of relationship that's being developed. It's just one person sharing their thoughts. So a monologue prayer is essentially saying, God, here's everything going on. Thanks for listening. I gotta go. I'm out of time. And many of our prayers functionally, of course, look like that. The other one that I mentioned, though, sometimes it's not so much a monologue, sometimes it's more of a command. And what I mean by that is what happens when I give a command, right? When I give a command, it's something that I tell you to do or expect you to do and expect that you're obligated to respond in the way that I desire. In other words, here's what I want, here's what I need, and here's how I expect you to fulfill it. Again, there's no real dialogue. It's just, it's just a one-way um, demand. For what I desire. Now we know this, but no relationship will ever be a vibrant one if there's not communication, mutual communication, uh, a mutuality in the way that we talk to those that we desire to build relationship with. Having a meaningful relationship will not work for monologues or commands if those are our primary modes of communication. I mean, seriously, think about it. If I were to come home every day and the only thing my wife and kids ever get from me is a monologue about myself or commands about what I want, it might produce a lot of things, but a vibrant relationship is not going to be one of them. 
Meaningful dialogue requires a depth of relationship that cannot be achieved through monologue or command, but rather mutual dialogue. And if prayer is to be that dialogue, then it must include God speaking. And God primarily speaks through his word. So my friends, hear this clearly. Normatively, there is a direct correlation between a vibrant relationship with God through prayer and our meditation on his word. They go hand in hand. And I say normatively because I do recognize that there are sometimes situations when the word of God is not available, not accessible, not understandable. And in those situations, God's grace meets us and meets those who seek him. But for those with accessibility to his word, it is the place where he speaks. And this is why the book of Psalms, before getting to all the prayers that will come in the other 149, emphasizes the word of God. Now, amazingly, as we spend this prayerful time in his word, we will also begin to see our, sh- our thoughts, our, our speech, our beliefs, our lives becoming more and more in alignment with that word. And so it's an interesting dynamic that as God is speaking, it's, it's shaping us, it's molding us, even as we then reflect in prayer our own desires and needs. That mutuality is what develops that deep relationship. And so we begin here because a foundation for a vibrant prayer life is a commitment to meditate on the truth of God's word. Again, I would highly encourage you to go to our Rule of Life resources. There are wonderful resources there to help you uh, on that front. But now that we've established that foundation, we also need to consider a necessary balance within prayer. Let me explain to you what I mean. So this brings us to Psalm 5. This psalm is considered a psalm of lament. And in that lament, we are presented with a very needed framework for prayer. Explain what I mean. So the book of Psalms was written about, uh, over the course of about a thousand years. There are 150 of them. And 40% of the, the Psalms are actually prayers of lament. That's interesting. That this was the songbook of Israel. This was the songbook of Jesus. And four out of ten of their songs were laments. Now, we have completely lost, for the most part, this instinctual type of prayer language, uh, largely because in the West, and especially in America, we really love victory. And lament often feels like defeat. And therefore, we feel like if we engage too much in lament, we're being unfaithful or something. Now, next year, we're actually, during our Lent season, we're going to be spending uh, an entire series looking at various lament psalms. So you can, uh, I'm not going to say too much about lament right now. Uh, We'll get to that um, come next year. But there is something really interesting presented to us in this psalm through this idea of lament that does show us. It's, It's an important case study for what prayer ought to be, a balance that we should see in prayer. Look at uh, verse 1. It says this. It says, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For you, for to you, I pray. So what you're seeing here is the psalmist explicitly states first that he brings lament before God. It is the thing most weighing on his heart and his mind. I mean, we know this. Lament by necessity is something that's burdening us. And we see that here in the psalm. 
And he does so, as he does so, he, he acknowledges that the one to whom he brings that lament is not a, a powerless and impotent listener, but then also says that you're an all-powerful, mighty king, his Lord and his God. And here's what I find to be a powerful insight, just in that one sentence, two sentences, is that prayers of lament remind us, on the one hand, that we serve a God who cares about our deepest burdens. And that matters because we can so easily forget, especially in the midst of pain, that God cares. Often we can fall into the belief that functionally God, he's not there, he doesn't care, he's not interested. But what lament reminds us of is that God desires to hear about what's burdening us. But then on the other hand, we bring those concerns to God, the almighty, all-powerful one. And this is important for us to remember because we can easily forget ourselves, forget our place, forget our position before him. When we remember that God is God and we are not, we are able to bring our lament before him, trusting that he's righteous, holy, all-knowing, and all-powerful one who's wise beyond our comprehension, who knows the beginning to the end and is never not working for the good of his people and the restoration and redemption of all things and a fatal flaw in many of our prayer lives is forgetting one or both of those realities. When we think of God only as an all-powerful one and we forget about his intimate nearness and his desires for us to bring to him our pain, that can result in us not experiencing joy and rest in him. We only see him as this powerful God who feels distant and uncaring. Or we can think of God as one who's willing to hear our pain, but then we forget about his godness, and we assume that he is obligated to intervene in my pain in the ways that I think are sufficient and appropriate. And then as a result, I don't trust him or believe that he is good in all seasons. And so again, I think for many of us, a fatal flaw in our prayer lives is forgetting God's intimate nearness or his infinite power. But when we hold those two things together in tension, when there's a balance between them, we can bring our lament to a God who desires to hear and also at the same time trust that in all things, at all times, he is good and righteous, holy and true. So that said, let's recap quickly. In order to have a vibrant prayer life, first we said we need to have rhythms of being in God's word because that's where God's going to speak with us. And if your prayers are only monologues or commands <clears throat> that do not give time, God time to speak through his word, uh, we won't have that vibrant prayer life that we desire. So the first thing is the real question on that point is, how often do we make prayer just about prayer without considering the rhythms of God's communication to us, which is through his word? Do we have commitments to both of those things? But as we consider prayer, we also, again, need to have that balance, remembering that he's intimately near, while also being a mighty, powerful God. And so the question on that point is, on which side do we tend to err? Do we tend to be someone who forgets about the intimate nearness of God, or do we tend to be a person that forgets about the mighty power of God? Because without both, we won't have that vibrant prayer life that we might desire. Now, having said all of that, 
I recognize for some that could feel like quite a burden because everything I have said thus far has been you're responsible to ensure that you have a vibrant prayer life. You need to be in the word of God. You need to keep a proper balance of who God is. And if you don't accomplish those things, you will not have a vibrant prayer life. Well, on the one hand, I just said it. I think that's true. On the other hand, I think there's something missing. There's something actually really key missing to that whole framework. And what we are going to see next is that if I were just to give you this command, do better. Your prayer life sucks because you're not doing enough. If that was all I gave you, I don't think that would actually produce the kind of vibrancy in our prayer that we want. And so we need to finally take a look at not just our foundation, not just this balance, but also a hope that's available to us through prayer. And I want to take a look at this hope by putting in front of you a very famous passage about prayer that honestly has perplexed me over the years. First uh, Thessalonians 5, which I, if you could throw that up there. So Paul, in first, first, why can't I say that today? First Thessalonians 5, he says this. Again, maybe you've heard this verse before. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now here's the tension of that verse. The tension is the command that we are to pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. What in the world does that mean? How is that even possible? And to say that this is the will of God for you? That seems completely impossible to pray without ceasing, never stopping. How does one get anything done if that were to be the case? And then on top of that, how are we to give thanks in all circumstances? I mean, does Paul not know how horrendous the realities of life can be, the things that befall us? How are we to give thanks when faced with some of life's most grievous tragedies? I mean, this is a very real tension in this verse. But here's what I want to present and I want to... Uh, consider, is that it dawned on me that the reason why this verse feels completely overwhelming is actually because when I read it, I tend to pay attention to the wrong part of the sentence. Meaning, my gaze always goes to what seems like I'm being told to do. But the real emphasis of that sentence shouldn't be on the first half of that sentence, but rather it should be on the second half of that sentence. Let me show you what I mean. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Here's the key. In Christ Jesus for you. What does that mean? What does it mean that this is, all of, uh, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus? What, what Paul means by praying without ceasing and this idea, uh, which we're going to speak to in a minute, uh, and this idea of being able to rejoice in all things, always, that is all connected to and dependent on this idea of in Christ Jesus. So what is he communicating in that, sta in that statement? Well, one of the ways that the biblical writers, and especially Paul, speak about the totality of the work of Jesus for us is through this idea of in Christ Jesus. Meaning, this is what he has in mind when he says that, that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are unified to Jesus so that everything is due, Jesus is given to us. To be in Christ Jesus is to have a, a perfect righteousness of Jesus. 
To be in Christ Jesus is to uh, have sin and death atoned for on the cross. To be in Christ Jesus is to have hope of resurrection power in our lives and in, in the creation that's around us. To be in Christ Jesus is to have a restored relationship with the Father. And because we are in Christ Jesus, we are welcomed into the throne room of grace, a room where God rules and reigns over all things. So whatever Paul is saying about prayer, he foundationally roots it in this relationship, a relationship that we have with God in Christ Jesus. So when the power of that truth begins to captivate our minds, what then does it mean that we can rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances? Well, it certainly can't mean that we pray head bowed, eyes closed, mind focused all day, every day. What it does mean is that all throughout our day, in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, all that we feel, all that we experience, we do so with the knowledge of the intimate relationship we have with God in Christ. Praying without ceasing is a constant awareness that God is with us, actively present in our lives, and as a result, there is never a moment in our lives when he does not have something to say about that moment. It's a constant awareness of his presence. You know, I think about this in, of course, very, very limited terms, very limited ways, in the ways that I tend to communicate with my wife. Uh, and maybe for some of you, maybe there's a spouse or a friend or a colleague or something where this is similar. So with my wife, uh, we definitely have formal times where we just sit down and talk, right? Kind of undistracted, meaning we're, we're at home doing nothing except talking to each other. And this kind of, uh, this kind of reminds me of formal prayer, right? It's that undistracted, head bowed, eyes closed kind of prayer. And we need times like that. It's important to have that dedicated time. It's important. It's vital. But that is not the way we talk normally. Rather, all throughout the day, she's basically just in my pocket. I mean, all throughout the day, there are texts that we have all, all day. Sometimes they're important uh, texts. Sometimes they're quick check-ins. Sometimes they're texts about something delicious I just ate. Uh, sometimes it's just a dumb meme that, uh, that we're sending to each other. Sometimes it's a, you'll never believe what just happened to me text. Sometimes it's a, well, some of them are none of your business, whatever that might be. But the point is, there's a constant communication with her, right? It doesn't stop. Because while we do need that formal time, because she's my wife, because of the type of relationship that I have with her, I can always know that I can communicate with her. It's a constant stream. I talk to my wife without ceasing in the sense that I always know I have access to that conversation. And in that constant stream, or with that constant stream, I know I do not have that kind of relationship with anybody else. You do not want to hear from me as often as my wife is going to hear from me, but I know I have that kind of access to her. And as a result, I don't need these big dramatic times where we sit down and have conversation. We have constant communication. And so to pray without ceasing, all of that just to say, to pray without ceasing is to acknowledge the relationship that we have with Jesus as being far more intimate than a relationship that we have with those that we are closest to. And it's building the habit of bringing everything, bringing the important stuff, the quick check-ins, 
the thanks for this delicious thing I just ate, bringing the you'll never believe what just happened to me kind of thing to God. Why? I've shared this uh, before, but it's something that always resonates. It's one of those go-to thoughts uh, that Tim Keller had mentioned in this regard. He, He was making the point of the kind of access that we have to God. And he said this, that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And that we have that kind of access in Christ. Praying without ceasing is recognizing that access, that constant access we have in Jesus. And again, it's necessary to have those times of formal, sit-down, undistracted time with God. But prayer is also a habit of remembering that all throughout the day that God is with us, leading us, desiring to speak with us. And if we don't remember that we have that kind of access to God in Christ, then praying is always going to remain a task, a formality, a duty. But when we remember the access we have in Jesus, of what it means, Christian, to be in Christ, we then have this steady stream of texts all throughout the day that actually deepens our relationship with him over time. The people I have the closest relationships to are those that I don't need permission or formality to talk to. And it's that kind of relationship that we have with God in Christ. And so my encouragement would be on this point to remember what it means, Christian, to be in Christ. And recognize that it's that hope, all that Jesus has accomplished to make us uh, able to step into that throne room room of grace, to wake that king up at 3 a.m., All of that is the great hope of what Jesus has done for us. And it's also what produces the vibrancy, the excitement, the desire to have this type of ongoing, regular, never-ceasing prayer with God. I pray the Spirit would remind us of that great hope and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and that you have given us your word We thank you that you're a God of infinite power and yet at the same time a God of intimate nearness. And we thank you that we have access to the throne room of grace when we trust in Jesus, when we are in him, that all that is his becomes ours. And as a result, we can be that child waking up a king at 3 a.m., We can be one who comes to you in all things, all day, sending that constant stream of texts because we have that kind of access before you. I pray that that would be a great encouragement to us, that it would provide great hope in knowing that you are always near, always present, always desiring to hear from us. And Lord, I pray that you would also make clear to us that which might be in our lives that keeps us from taking that seriously. God, maybe there is besetting sin that we need to bring before you that keeps us from wanting to come to you in prayer. Maybe there's an issue in our uh, schedules and rhythms of life that we need to assess so that we take more seriously what it means to come before you. But Lord, in all of that, would we also remember the great hope that we have that we are your children and that you desire to have relationship with us. 
For this, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.